On today's episode of Net Takeaways with Feller and Harf, big, bold predictions for 2024. Let's hear what Isaiah thinks is going to happen in the commercial real estate and net lease markets in the year ahead. Welcome to Net Takeaways with Feller and Harf. How I'm, you doing, Beach? I'm BJ Feller. How you doing? It's good to be back. That was three takes of the intro. You know, look. Sometimes... No one else is going to hear those other takes, but I mean, you did call me like something at 8 p.m. at Gibson's in Chicago, which should I be flattered by that? I don't know. I don't think it's, so, though. It's uh, in the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> so... How's it going today? Oh, I'm feeling great. You're feeling great. You're- I'm feeling great. You know, we're 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 close to Christmas time, and obviously, uh, well, this is our big predictions episode, which is going to drop right. after the holidays. But right, the holidays haven't happened yet. Right, Jews love Christmas. So it's, I mean, we love Christmas music. We love Chinese food on Christmas. I, I can't say the cliches, but since you said Chinese food, is that is right. that? Do you think is that an actual thing? Do you guys do Chinese on Christmas? Oh, absolutely. And, and by the way, so so everybody understands. It's not that like there's this relationship between Jews and and uh, people from China that exist. It's that the Chinese are the only people that are open yeah. on Christmas Eve. You can't Christmas. Get, you can't. Make- get mcdonald's on christmas day you can't no. get anything pizza places are closed yeah do you want to know what's interesting not to go on a tangent but you want know what's interesting about suburban pizza in chicago this is definitely a tangent but i'll entertain you let's hear it it's so bad that they're not open late so like when you and i were growing up right Yes. I mean, pizza was good. Pizza was not good. You had your favorite places, right? But you could get pizza at 10 o'clock at night, right? I mean, that was easy. That wasn't a problem. And I'm just going to go on record in saying this. I hope you I don't mean, mind. I live in the city. I can get pizza at 3 a.m. still. Correct. Not you that can, I'm awake at correct. That's why I unless prefaced, I'm just waking and up. And that's why I prefaced it with pizza in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But like when you were growing up, and I, I think it's, I'm, I'm okay to share this, right? Flint, Michigan, you, yeah. Well, I wasn't going to say Flint, Michigan. No. I was going to just say that you grew up somewhere where it wasn't some populous, crazy No, place. we can just say Flint, Michigan. And I'm not sure. Wait, well, Flint was populous. Yeah. Reasonably so. I mean, I wasn't in, yeah, I wasn't in Flint proper. Wait, so you're outside, outside of, it, of Flint. I don't think I could have gotten a pizza past 10 p.m. where I grew up. Really? I think, I don't think so. I could think you're you? wrong. Could you have? Yes. Okay. I think you're wrong. I think pizza was a staple in the in the 80s, 90s, and probably into the early 2000s in the suburbs where- Until you, midnight. Yeah, you can get pizza until midnight, and Monday through Friday. And you can't get pizza until midnight in, in the northern burbs of Chicago. Correct. You can't. I'm they pretty, like close at like- I'm pretty shocked nine. If but, you're lucky. But you're in bed by 10 most nights. When are you getting pizza? When do you have a hankering for pizza at 11 p.m. that can not go filled? Yeah. No, I, listen, I don't disagree with you, but I just think our, our, the culture, the mindset is, is we're, all, we're, we're all trying to be healthier, but that's not really reality because look at McDonald's sales. Look at all these chicken concepts that are not good for you, right? It, it's, a big, it's a big misnomer, right? I, I'm like the like the hunting dog that followed the rabbit down the rabbit hole, chasing you from Chinese food to pizza in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Well, that's not healthy for you either, by the way, Chinese food. And talk about a place that does not do it well, Chicago. Mm. <laughs> Chinese food in Chicago is not good. What else do you do on Christmas besides Chinese food? 
you know, yeah, we definitely don't wake up in the morning and get in our matching jammies and no, you go to songs. sleep. We go to sleep with them on on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, we it's a charming. We, we definitely don't do that. Desk. We definitely kind of all kind of look at each other and you know wonder when when the uh, when the sports are going to start on TV. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we kind of look around. And then we kind of like you know you like walk to the fridge and you go oh, see what's up. Yeah, I'm really glad I uh, stocked up, knowing nothing was open today. <laughs> yeah and then you and then you and then you do that about every 20 minutes so hey it sounds like a fun day yeah, yeah well, it's we, better it's better than my day cleaning up reams and reams of uh wrapping paper that children have thrown in every conceivable direction so i'm kind of jealous of you to be nah, i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't be so jealous but i'm excited for today's episode big predictions for 2024 ah, i love big predictions you came in with one prediction you looked at me and you asked how many predictions do i have i'm like i've got three ready to go and you made me wait while you drafted your big predictions here so i'm i'm actually super curious for what they are. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I just want to write them down. You want to write them down, yeah. which is fair. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna gonna get into it. I'm gonna get. Can we get? It? I wish we had a drum roll effect. Maybe our no, post production can do a drum roll. My first prediction is it's a bad time to be a chicken in America in 2024. Oh, low cap rates uh, associated with chicken concepts not going to be so hot huh? uh, i don't know about cap rates being low or high per se on chicken but um you know the prediction i was going to make is that there are still going to be a lot of expanding tenants more than people appreciate and when mm-hmm. i started to get into the numbers i was really shocked at how many chicken operators have big expansion plans for 2024 slim chickens zaxby's bojangles chick-fil-a continuing to open Something on the magnitude of another 1,200 chicken stores or QSR restaurants selling chicken will open in the U.S. next year. And that's incredible. If you factor, uh, if you just look at those 1,200 stores and if you assume average unit level volumes of 2 to $3 million per store, that is a lot of additional spending Americans are going to be doing on crispy fried chicken sandwiches in the year ahead. And likely taking away from something else, presumably, right? I mean, I can't imagine that spending on fast food is just going to continue to rise and that we're going to be, you know, magically finding more in our budgets to spend on chicken fast food. Well, I think there will be some growing of the proverbial pie, but I think a lot of this is going to come out of the Burger Kings, the Wendy's, the Arby's of the world. I think we're just seeing this huge structural shift in American dietary consumption where they want to get away from beef more and more. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. And I, and I think that that, uh, that certainly makes a lot of sense. So, and, and how many of these developers who are going to build for these tenants believe that they're getting a five cap? And that's where I was going with it. How many of them are believing that they're going to get a five cap when they sell that asset to the next guy or girl? Too many is the answer. Less than at the beginning of this year, but still too many. There's a lot of hope certificates, particularly with the 10-year treasury. We need like a sound effect every time we reference this down to about 380. Who knows where it's going to be by the time this podcast drops. But there's there's more people than should believe that they're going to get this wonderful shiny cap rate. Um, but there's enough spread. I mean, I think your average set aside Chick-fil-A, your average chicken QSR is probably getting developed to something like a seven and a quarter, seven and a half cap rate in today's market. So there's room in these cap rates, particularly if we see some stabilization. But the big prediction here, 
bad time to be a chicken in America. Yeah. So let's hear your first big prediction, Isaiah. Sure. So my first big prediction is that I believe that some we're going to see some big portfolios of retail net lease hit the market in 2024. And I'm not, and I, and when I say big, I mean portfolios that have a couple hundred stores in them. Mm. Yeah. So we're talking about half billion dollar plus portfolios. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some forced sellers uh, who have product like that, and I don't think they're going to have, you know, they're not going to have much of a choice. And uh, I think it's going to change, you know. It, our marketplace, right, generally speaking, has seen a lot of one-off selling. It's seen it, you know, so, you know, when we use the word portfolio, right, more than one, you know, we see a couple stores sell, right, that are cross-collateralized. I don't think we necessarily see big portfolios uh, in the net lease space trade um, like maybe the apartment market does, right? An equity residential or a I don't know, pick your favorite apartment rate, right? Post has no, properties. Right. Has no problem buying, you know, 10, 12,000 units, right? In, in one snap of a finger amongst, right? Call it, I don't know, 15, 18 assets, right? I, I think that that similar uh, type of type of trade is going to happen in the net lease space in 2024. Well, I think that's problematic, and I think you may be right, but I think it's problematic because the difference between our marketplace and net lease marketplace, and to a certain degree, this is true of all broader retail, is that you don't have the commonalities across the assets that you, generally speaking, do in the apartment trades, right? If if, if, if you're moving a, an apartment, a, a portfolio of apartments, it's usually got regional concentration or asset class concentration. So you might be looking at 10,000 units in the Southeast that are all garden style, even across the southern U.S., you're going to find a buyer for that. But I think the problem we've all seen in the net lease market is when these asset portfolios come out, when you're talking half billion plus, even 200 million plus, is you're going to have a real mix of tenancy in there. And most of the people who have the capability to buy that portfolio aren't going to want the mix that exists. So I think this is going to be a really tough dynamic if the marketplace does see these portfolios manifest. Yeah. And I think that because the geography of the real estate has always been all over the place, right? And we've always played in a marketplace where there's been so much stress placed on 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 cap rate, credit, and lease term as opposed to location that it lends itself right to a wholesale to retail sa- you know sale, right? Somebody comes in, says, "I'm happy to buy you know the 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 half a billion dollar portfolio, but I'm buying it." at a discount so I can wholesale to retail it to those one-off investors. And if that's, as opposed to keeping it right. If that's the case. And I agree with you that that's a very likely outcome for some of these mixed bag portfolios. But if we looked at traditionally in this wholesale to retail play, I think people probably would have baked in something in the magnitude of a six to 10% spread to make that, make that make sense from what the retail sellout. And on a cap rate basis, what? 25 to 40 bips. Yeah, I think so. When you buy such large quantities. But as we look at 2024, I think if we're going to be talking wholesale to retail play, I think we're going to need to see 10 to 15% spreads because people are going to make calculations. This is going to turn over less quickly. The market is fluid. So you may be right. That might be the best exit for somebody who has got a big debt maturity on 300 to 500 million, but still going to be a tough road to execute on that. Absolutely. I think what it does to 
the individual owner, right, who has made a decision after 10, 12, 15 years to sell their net lease asset, right? And now they're, they're being thrown in a pool where uh, there's all of these other assets in the marketplace that have flooded. It's, it's going to be interesting times for that one-off seller, especially because our space for the most part has been so commoditized over the last five years. I, I think it's going to make it really, really tough for that individual owner. Good prediction. We'll see. And it leads perfectly into my second prediction. Imagine that it's, and this is not coordinated ladies no. and gentlemen, this is completely independent. Um, my second big prediction for 2024 is that cap rate rise is not going to be driven by rates. It's going to be driven by the supply that's on the market. I feel like you're stealing what everybody wants to say. That's everybody's number one. Oh, don't you think? I don't think, and I haven't heard anyone say this. This is, you know, this is pure Fowler, as they say. Okay. No, I, it's, it's, I mean, it's sexy for people to say cap rates are going to stabilize. Rates are going to come down. Everyone thinks everything's rate driven. We've been very guilty of talking about things being rate driven. And the marketplace certainly is heavily influenced, if not primarily influenced by rates. Um, but I think the thing people are missing, and it's certainly, my ear just started ringing, I thought our microphones cut out, but they didn't, certainly ties in with what you said about portfolios coming to market. I think the supply coming to the market next year is going to be very much higher than what we're seeing right now. And I think it's going to be driven by a few things. First of all, we talked about it a couple episodes back, Walgreens. We're going to see a big flood of Walgreens in Q1. I think you said 200 assets. I might have said 150. But if the average ticket size on those assets is 5 million plus or minus, we're going to be looking at something that work out to be a, a billion dollars worth of product. Correct. You start looking at the debt maturities. As we get into 2024, we're going to be looking at 10-year money that was originated in 2014, a very good year for originations, 2015, seven-year money that would have been originated in 2017, and five-year money that would have been originated in 2019. All three of those years were good origination years. We're going to see a lot of debt that's coming to maturity and going to push people to be for sellers in the market, particularly as the refinance on these assets has gotten more difficult. And then on top of it, we're going to see this cap rate rise, and that's going to cause more people to come into the marketplace as well. So I just think we're going to see 20, 30, maybe 40% more volume coming into the market, certainly for the first half of the year and arguably the whole year. For me, that means that we're looking at cap rates, even with rates that stay at 4%, potentially even lower. I think cap rates are up 45 basis points in 2024 from where they're ending 2023. With the way you explain it, it's really easy to buy in to what you're saying. So I'm getting, I'm getting excited to, to be an experienced broker in the marketplace. Right. Well, I mean, the guilty because based upon everything you're saying, there's going to be a lot of transaction volume, and and here I am for the taking. Right. The the dirty little secret is that Isaiah is like a broker with a beautiful butterfly net. He doesn't care if cap rates are high or low. He just wants to get the transactions done. And I think 2023 was a year where transaction volume was very low because people had a lot of hope certificates. They didn't know where the market was going. No one's lived through this kind of disruption in a decade since 2011. 
2024, um, the fig leaf, um, forgive the, uh, the cliche or the analogy, um, it's going to be removed and people are simply going to need to transact into the marketplace. Um, and for me, that means cap rates 45 basis points higher. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, I got, I, I, What's I your got number two. I got, I, yeah, my second bold prediction. So I don't know if anybody remembers how many times the Fed in 2022 said they were going to raise rates in 2023. Do you remember? We could certainly look. I don't remember that. Everyone has a very short attention span as it relates to and what memory. the Fed says. And memory, especially if you're over 20. Yeah. Where I'm going with this is, is that the Fed has said they're going to cut rates three times in 2024. Is that correct? You can fact check me. Uh, that's correct. Okay. And so I believe that the minute that they cut rates once, people are going to spend and people are going to spend wildly. To clarify, when you say people, are you talking about retail consumers or are you talking about corporations? Yeah, great, great, uh, great point. I, I, I'm speaking more to retail consumers. I think that all of a sudden, right, everybody call it the crypto bros, right? That's who I kind of like to look at. That's who I'm always the crypto, about. The crypto bros are no longer a thing. Oh, it's a huge thing. All right. Do you, did you, you see, so. do you see where Bitcoin's at right now? Uh, I, I have not looked at anything in crypto lately. <laughs> Beach, they are back. <laughs> oh God. They are back. Oh, the God. green, the green Lambo Eurus's are oh, back. Oh no. The okay. Richard Mill watches. Uh, Richard Mill. Oh, yes. see, yeah. how, can you yeah. tell I'm not into watches? Like I'm just you? telling you they're back. Okay. They're back. Okay, they're back because Bitcoin at one point was at eleven thousand, and today it's 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 north of forty. Oh God, this is painful. It's at forty three yeah. from a low water mark a year ago at sixteen thousand. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm uh, you're in the crypto. Even, I might even be a crypto bro. Um, no, I'm not a crypto bro, and uh, I have to tell you, um, the run up with Bitcoin has just been unbelievable, but. I'm going to tell you right now, the minute the Fed cuts rates once, we're going to see retail consumption and retail spending go back to through the roof. Because the one thing that I haven't seen that I thought I was going to see was I thought I was going to see a lot of job loss. I thought I was going to see a lot of corporate job loss. And we really haven't seen that, have we? We haven't talked. I mean, we've, we've talked about how like that was the next wave right after rates rising so high so quickly, right? We said, geez, how are they going to, how are corporations going to pay for this interest, right? They're going to have to get lean. They're not going to have to, you know, they're going to have to take care of how fat they've gotten. And boom, we're going to see a lot of corporate layoff, which then trickles down right into our real estate market. It forces people to tighten their belt, forces people to stop spending, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you right now, I think people are, con- are, are, are are cautious of their spending right now. And I think that'll come out in the retail numbers from 2023 holiday sales. But I think what we're going to see on the other end is the Fed will cut rates once and boom, they're going to say, well, we know we told you we were going to do this three times, but once, once was enough. And that's my big bull prediction is that I think Fed's the Fed's going to cut rates once, not three times, and that's going to be it. So they and they're going to hold steady. They didn't actually announce how many cu- uh, hikes they anticipated in 2023, but they did say that they anticipated at the end of 22 that rates would go to the five to five and a half percent range, not the which treasury. implies which implies 
Yeah, yeah. Which, which implies a certain number. That's fair. It implies yeah. a certain number. I've always said with the, with the rate versus inflation battle, because rates right now, the Fed's moves are all about what's going on with inflation. Correct. And I've always said that there's a real risk factor here, that if rates fall too quickly, inflation's going to come back too quickly, or if rates don't fall quickly enough, inflation could risk going into deflationary territory. Now, i sure. I take a little bit of a different perspective as it relates to your views on consumer spending, because I don't think consumer spending has really been depressed um, as it, when you look at the charts. Um, consumer spending hasn't been wildly depressed. Now, I do think corporate spending has been a little bit because cost of funds has gotten a lot a lot higher. And mm-hmm. so I do think that there there's a real risk that as corporate cost of funds goes down with these rate hikes, that corporations could say, oh, we weren't going to do XYZ project. Well, now let's go put a hundred million into it. Let's go put. Yeah. And so for me, I'm watching. And a la, we need to keep these employees. And if we need to pay them an extra five, 10%, right, to keep them so we can execute on the project project. we're going to. Yeah. And so for Mm -hmm. me, that there's some risks built in there more than on the retail side. Um, but I do agree with you. Uh, the The Fed ha- it has been and is like a poker player with a big pile of chips in front of them. And the most important thing a player has to do with the cards they have is make you believe that they have the cards, the good cards, even when sure. they don't have the good cards. That's all well and good until the bluff gets called, as we know. And so for me, that is a really good, big, bold prediction for 2024. Yeah, I like it. You ready for number three for me? Oh, I've been, I've been, I've been tantalizing in my seat here. <laughs> this is kind of unsu- not knowing. This is kind of unsurprising. And based on what you said um, earlier in this week, when we were talking, I think in a few meetings, you're going to disagree, or you at least would have disagreed then. I may have convinced you since this is going to be a bounce back transactional volume year. I personally believe that we're going to see transactional volume. That's going to be 15 to 30% higher uh, largely driven by the fact that there's going to be a big increase in supply and more people where the and fig- the supply is going to clear. Correct. Right. The fig leaf has been removed. There's going to be people who are more, more motiv- motivated. I've used the analogy now for a year and a half of re- re- real estate uh, capital markets, Jenga, where people have to go up to the Jenga tower and see which block is ready to move, see which sellers are ready to clear the market. And I think that's going to be more pronounced in 2024. I think that's going to lead to that 15 to 30% increase in volume. Um, I think Q1 on a year-over-year basis is going to be difficult for the marketplace to be. I think transactional volume probably flat or slightly down on a year-over-year basis. But once we get to Q3, uh, sorry, Q2, Q3, Q4, we're going to see big year-over-year transactional volume growth. Um, those quarters probably will run 25 to maybe even 35% higher. And overall, it's going to be a good year for people who are really dependent on transactional volume in the marketplace. This is wild. Was that your prediction? No, no, but it, it, it ties into, it ties into a lot of what you said and, and, and some of the things that, by the way, I really, I agree with you. Right. And, and I want to be clear. I you know, I've convinced the skeptic earlier this week. You didn't agree with me on that. But that's okay. No, I do. I do agree with you. And the other thing I would say is, is that it's really important for everybody to understand that more transaction volume for brokers doesn't necessarily mean that cap rates are going down and valuations are higher. And I obviously like, I know that we've, 
we've kind of danced around that a little bit and we've we've said that in different forms and fashions right by obviously letting you know by by stating that we think that there's going to be more supply than demand and obviously what happens when you know when 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 that happens but it's funny i think that there's a common you know that there's just like this huge misnomer misconception. And common misconception and common belief that you know brokers only make money when prices go up right and and that there's there's less opportunity when there isn't necessarily real estate appreciation right and it's quite it's quite the opposite right there's opportunity in our space and there are people making more money in our space when things are bad or maybe said differently when there's more supply right because that's when that's 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 when that's when more risk is taken ultimately and so my my bull prediction my my last bull prediction is that i think that there's going to be a huge shift in the makeup of what the net lease buyer looks like so this is a bold prediction because i don't know where you're going with this i want to hear more so i think that right i i'm a i'm a big believer that apartment market rents are going to be flat in 2024 and it's really going to cause apartment sales to stay slow. And when apartment sales stay slow, there isn't a lot of 1031 money in the marketplace. And our marketplace, frankly, over the last 10 years has been driven so much by 1031 apartment sale money. And I don't think I had an appreciation for how much my business revolved around that 1031 apartment sale buyer. But I, I ultimately, especially from the trades that we've seen over the last few months on, on, on bigger assets, it's been very loan assumption driven, right? With in-place financing that I don't think anybody thinks is going to be replicated in the next few years, right? I don't think you're going to see 3.5% Fannie Freddie debt fixed for 10 years, right? Go have fun with cheap free money, and buy an apartment building and hope you have some rent growth, right? Like that, it, it, that, that, that's not coming back anytime soon. So the trades that we're seeing in the apartment market are institutional in nature and they're Fannie and Freddie assumptions, right? And those sellers are not buying net lease. They're not. So what does that create? That creates a new type of net lease buyer. The REITs are coming out. The REITs are saying they're setting their thresholds. They're setting their benchmarks, right? They're saying, hey, you know, this is, this is where, you know, we're going to be and we're always going to be here. And they'll get the low hanging. They'll get those desperate, 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 desperate sellers, right? Those sellers. There's a lot of desperates. Well, they'll get the sellers that they've worked with before. They'll get the people who have to transact on Correct. as risk-free a basis as you can find. Correct. But I think that they're no different that they're than, than when you hear an, than when you hear a apartment or a retail developer um, who is generally speaking played in the, you know, call it 10 to hundred million dollar space, right? Say there is so much private equity sitting on the sidelines, ready to get in and ready to buy. And there's so much dry powder. And by the way, I believe them, right? I, I think that the makeup of the net lease buyer, because of all the supply that I think we both can agree is, is more than just a prediction. Well, you know, it's interesting. That it's going to create, yeah, it's going to create. 
I left this off of my second big prediction, which was kind of a, a supporting data point that I put on it. But, uh, you know, you look at where the stock market is right now, mm-hmm. all-time highs. It's going to be very difficult going into the political uncertainty of 2024 for the stock market to do any better. It's going to be very difficult to believe that you're going to buy into bonds and you're going to see those bonds increase in value. Um, maybe they're stable, but you know, it's it's going to be difficult for people to believe that that's an attractive asset class. With the political uncertainty, just generally, people are going to be looking for relative safety in the marketplace, is my view. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a big believer that there's going to be a lot of people who may not have thought about net lease before. Private investors who are going to say, hear from their attorney, exactly. their accountant, hey, why don't we look at this safe haven? So I think we're going to see a big uh, amount of private activity, including people who may not have dipped their toes into this particular pool of water previously. Exactly. And that's and that's where I was going with it, right? It's going to be investors who aren't in a 1031 exchange, right? We used to say, we're this new shiny new asset class, but ultimately what we didn't realize wh- and, and what it really was, was it was apartment sellers not rebuying apartments. It was shopping center sellers not rebuying commercial, right? In a traditional sense, right? And it was people, it was people really being forced to buy a product and us being the beneficiary of that product and them saying net lease is easy to understand. I have a ticking time clock. I'm gonna buy it and it and and it's gonna be mailbox money for me, right? Those buyers in theory, are gone if there is not a lot of NOI growth in their traditional product, right? But there's going to be all the supply on the marketplace that still needs to clear, right? There's going to be forced forced selling. So the question becomes, right? Who's, who's going to clear the buyer, market? Right? Who's that buyer of? Who's that buyer of the product? And if the REITs are saying, well, here's our cost of capital, right? That's not really changing over the next twelve months. I think that there are people, many people, private money that comes into our space, says this makes sense, couples with what you said, the S&P, is the S&P really going to go up another 20% next year, right? Maybe, but I'm not betting on it. Are you? Uh, The NASDAQ and the Dow? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the NASDAQ or the, I mean, I I said the S&P. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone believes there's a lot of room to run there. Exactly. So- Ultimately, I think we see a whole new buyer in the net lease space. And I, and I, 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 you know, I don't know. I think it'd be interesting. I think, I don't know where they come from necessarily, right? It, it, geographically, because we could see some international money really flow into our space. Um, as we've seen in the industrial market and in a lot of the other markets. Um, but, uh, I'm 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 very curious to see. It's my big bold prediction for 2024. Wonderful. Well, we have officially covered our bold predictions. We'll look back at them one year from today and we'll, we'll get a wonderful chance to be embarrassed at how wrong we were, but until then, we can let these bold predictions kick off 2024. We hope that the year is wonderful for all our friends, family, and listeners. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs>